Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. The Bible states, the Bible states these words. Amen. Anybody else need to sneeze? We'll just pause for a moment. It happens at some of the most missed. I remember, I are old podcasts. I remember up here sneezing during the podcast one time. And I told her, it kept happening. Everybody just kind of watching with bated breath because they always came in pairs with me. So I didn't know the first one came and just waiting for the second one, you know. Things like that. I've had my nose bleed while I was preaching, and it's going to happen in church, folks. It just happens. Life doesn't stop when you walk in here. <laughs> it just, you know, that it hadn't been that long ago that when we had special guests, it seemed like we were constantly sending somebody to the hospital. You remember when that was happening? We had Brother Glassbell here. We sent somebody to the hospital. We had the horse family from Germany here. We sent somebody to the hospital. I stopped having guest speakers. That's the reason why we have any this year because I was afraid somebody would be sent. Somebody's going to have to go to the hospital. might be your number, you know. So we just try to steer clear from that. Amen. It's good to have fun in it. First Chronicles 11, verse 4. The Bible says, And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went first up and was chief David said they said you're not coming here David went on and took it but in all of that he says whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain shall be chief and captain this is really a generic title and I apologize I'll do better sometime in the future but tonight I just want to talk about qualifications for leadership According to David, I don't, you don't have to put that in there. I know that would be long. Okay. <laughs> but qualifications for leadership. But this is according, according to David. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I need you tonight. God, I pray, Lord, for acceptable words in this place this evening. God, if I can just say something that God would help us all. God, there is life within this word. And I pray, God, that life would be imparted tonight. God, Lord, arise above, Lord, the physical tiredness of my body and let my spirit soar, I pray. God, to be able, Lord Jesus, to convey something that would be of some benefit, God, to these body of believers that have gathered together on this Sunday night. God, will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. And the church say amen qualifications for leadership you may be seated here this evening qualifications for leadership 
if you read the entirety, and I don't know if I'll spit as I go, okay? But I'll just, just bear with me. There seems to be a theme of leadership in First Chronicles chapter number 11. It begins with the gathering together of the children of Israel together at Hebron. And they are going to anoint David as their king. And as they are doing this, there are many of them that are recalling that in the past, when David wasn't king, that when David wasn't king, that he had led Israel in and out of battle when he wasn't king. And First Chronicles 11 then ends with a list, quite lengthy list at that, a list of people that David accounted as some of his chief mighty men that he had throughout his life. People that David had revered as being leaders in combat. So the whole chapter, in essence, is concerning leadership. David coming into his own role as being leader of king and even showing some or certain degrees of leadership before he was ever king by leading an army in and out of battle before he had a title. And also then all of the men that he accounted as being mighty that had done great exploits in their life, particularly on the battlefield and in combat, to be given a label that they were mighty men and as i said david whenever he wasn't king he led israel in and out of battle the bible tells us that at that time when david was leading an army in and out of battle that saul was king but the new living translation says it like this that david you were the one who really led israel he wasn't king he didn't have the title he didn't have you know, the little placard on his desk, amen, labeling him as that. But he led when he didn't have a office, per se. Saul was king, but that title as king associated with the name of Saul, that position did not determine necessarily leadership for his life. Which is a good principle in leadership for church and otherwise, and that is titles and roles, all of these things, positions, does not determine leadership for your life. But even as David, David led whenever he didn't have a title. So it's not summed up in a title. It's not summed up in something that's before your name or even after your name. All David had in his combat days was, the Bible says in First, First Chronicles here 11, was a word from the Lord that he would rule Israel someday. And so David in this setting is anointed king by the elders of Israel. They have come together, they have anointed him, and by doing so, they have fulfilled the prophecy of the word of the Lord that had been spoken in verse 2. David someday, a prophetic utterance was over his life that he would be Come king, and now it's happening in verse number three as he is anointed by the elders of Israel. Someone say amen. So, David, having gone through this process, there's people that's going to serve under him in his kingdom as king. David then begins to expect the same type of people or similar people to him under his leadership, people who would act first. And then be granted to command as a chief title and captain. 
He wanted somebody to lead when they didn't have a title as he had. He wanted somebody to lead when they were not the chief and captain as though they were the chief and captain before they ever came into their position. Within the same chapter of the chief of the mighty men whom David had are mentioned are all these names that are listed. They appear to be mighty men because they appear to have some type of a claim to the labels of almighty because they did something very, very victorious or some deed to win that honor, some deed to grant that honor upon their life and give them the position as being mighty people. Some even translations speak of some of the men in scripture in here first chronicles 11 as though they had won a name for themselves that they had won a name for themselves and the bible says one in particular won a name for himself and therefore david appointed him over his guard but he did something first in order to grant his appointment so whenever david confronts jebus which is just an old word for jerusalem when he comes to the city of Jerusalem, the Bible tells us plainly in verse 4 that he is met with opposition, and he is met with opposition, amen, against him, as king, against him, as a ruler. And what he states next, he gives a statement that is laced with the qualifications of what he deems leadership to be in his setting. He states this, he says, whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. Whosoever smites the Jebusites first shall be given the role and the function of chief and captain. What I could boil it down to to say is this. Whosoever attacks first will command or lead all. Everybody say whosoever. He says, whosoever. And here's what I want to talk to you about for the next few moments. And again, I will not hold you long. And that is this. The qualifications that David gave in that statement that I derive are this. Is that number one, his qualification for someone that was going to be a leader under his care, something that he had exampled himself. Number one is this. You got to know who the enemy is. You you got to know who the enemy is. Because something's important. If you know who the enemy is, then you know who the enemy is not. Number two, you got to take initiative. And number three, you got to be willing to risk your life. Qualifications of leadership, according to David, is this. you got to know who the enemy is. Sun Tzu, he is the writer of a, a popular book called The Art of War, stated this. He said, if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. <laughs> because if you don't know the enemy and you don't know yourself, then you don't know what you're fighting. Some people go out on the battlefield fighting enemies they don't even know. In other words, they're shooting, they're pulling back arrows and letting them go. And they don't even know who the target's supposed to be. David is, 
He told them very plainly. We read in Scripture, and it's important to know who the enemy is because in the previous chapter, 1 Chronicles 10, the Bible says that Saul died in that chapter. He passed away. Amen. He was sore wounded in battle. Amen. And then not wanting to be taken advantage of by the Philistines, the Bible tells us in, in the harmony of the Scriptures that he committed suicide to finish himself off. And so along the way, Saul... Listen, Saul had mislabeled who the enemy was. Saul, the predecessor to David, had mislabeled who the enemy was because Saul presumed that the enemy in his life was David. And he missed, as a result of it, he missed the real enemy. Look at it now. 1 Samuel 23 and verse 26. The Bible says, And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. Why? Saul is chasing David, wanted to take David's life. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. So you see what's happening here. Saul sees David as the enemy. Insomuch that he has a band of men with him. He is pursuing him. He's doing whatever necessary to apprehend David. And the Bible says in verse 27, But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David. What are you saying? While Saul was out pursuing what he perceived to be the enemy, the real enemy encroached on the territory. The real enemy encroached on the territory of Saul. So much messengers had to be come and say, hey, you don't need to be chasing this right now. We got a real adversary over here on our other flank. What are you saying? I'm saying it's important to know who the real enemy is so that you're not fighting battles that you might be losing other places. You're not going after things that really have no context or meaning or threat. said, hey, the Philistines have invaded the land. And so he returns from chasing David what he thought was the problem to go to the real problem. Now, please note, I don't know this for sure, but I'm just putting this in your mind. I wonder, because it was on Mount Gilboa that Saul was taken by archer. Who were the Philistines? Who were the Philistines that wounded him and he ultimately taken his life? I wonder if life would have been prolonged for Saul if rather than investing in a mislabeled enemy, he had been fighting the real enemy all alone. So it's important to know who the enemy is. During one of the early wars within the America, these United States, they were surrounded by thick trees and brush and the British soldiers and, and the, Vir, the, the Virginia militia were firing in battle without aiming, history says. They would quickly reload their gun and fire again, more than likely muskets. Occasionally, history records, they hit the enemy, but more often, they shot their own men. Because there's a danger in haphazardly firing with really no aim or target secured. 
You got to know who the enemy is. Someone say amen. You got to know who the enemy is. The Bible says that David made it quite plain and he made it quite uh, noticeable for them. He says, whosoever smiteth the Jebusites. The Jebusites were the inhabitants of Jebus or that old name for Jerusalem. They were one, according to Deuteronomy 7, they were one of the seven nations mentioned in Deuteronomy 7 that were doomed to destruction by God. They were not in Joshua's day totally driven out of the land of promise but they were in David's day except for a small group that inhabited the land of the temple which is the land of Jerusalem or the land of Jebus. They say according to history that the Jebusites were warlike men. They were a mountain tribe and it's evident according to this verses of scripture that they dis respected David because they told David thou shalt not come hither they disrespected David now this is no surprise folks whenever we learn that it seems as though they descended from Ham who likewise also disrespected the authority in his life his father Uh that whenever daddy got drunk on the wine from the vine he had planted and he's naked in his own tent. Ham sees it and he announces it to his brethren. So it's no surprise. And so David is standing here with his men. He's identifying the enemy for them. He's telling the men that are fighting alongside him, whosoever smiteth the Jebusites. So it's clear that the Jebusites are the enemy because they challenged King David whenever he approached. Someone say amen. Not only that, the Bible says that they were mightier and they were greater than Israel. But Deuteronomy says that God had marked them for doom and destruction. Now listen to me. This is what God said concerning this enemy, the Jebusites. Deuteronomy 7 and verse number 2. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them. It's speaking of these seven nations, so it includes the Jebusites. Deliver them before thee. This is what he says. Thou shalt smite them. Utterly destroy them. Make no covenant with them. Shew them no mercy. You can't have marriages. You can't take their daughter and they can't have your daughter. Because they'll, they'll turn you away from following me. They'll serve other gods. The anger of the Lord will be kindled. He'll destroy you suddenly. He says, but this, in verse 5, but thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. So David is presenting to the nation of Israel an enemy, the Jebusites. Look at me now. David's presenting the Jebusites as an enemy to Israel because they were an enemy of God. You got to know your enemy. In other words, an enemy of God was an enemy to David and therefore was an enemy to Israel. God's making it quite plain that if it's in opposition to God, it's in opposition to you. If it's against the church, it's against you. He said in New Testament scripture that that, that the servant is no greater than his master. If it's going to oppose him, then it's going to oppose you. If it's an enemy of God's, then it's your enemy. Some would say amen. You must know who your enemy is. Some of you are turning to your neighbor and tell him, you got to know who your enemy is. 
So David says, that's, that's qualification for leadership according to me. Know who, he said, because I don't want anybody on the battlefield with me. I don't want anybody on the battlefield with me that are confused about who or what we're fighting against. Terry McGee, if me and you going through the battle and we got guns that's loaded, honey, I want you to know what colors are ours. I want to know what, what, what colors are ours. And my wife just whispered it. It's the thing that we, you know, tried to live by and tried to propagate of New Testament scripture that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Many times we are used like pawns on a chess table. Many times, you know, it's not the pawn, it's not the knight, it's not the queen or the king, but it's the hand that's empowering all the moves behind it. It's the king of Persia and those of media that, that, that Daniel spoke of. He said there's a higher power, there's a war that's taking place in the heavenlies and it's using the souls and the beings of men, if you will, as pawns on the table. You've got to know who your enemy is. Number one. Number two qualification, you got to take initiative. He said, whosoever smiteth the Jebusites, he's given them instruction about who the enemy is. Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first. So this isn't only about knowing who the enemy is. I got a hanky in one of those pockets, please. It's not about only knowing who the enemy is and the Jebusites being killed. I'm a liar, maybe, and the father of it. Okay. I lied. <laughs> because David's army would ensure that. I probably forgot it, guys. David's army ensured that. Bishop always has one. Bless his heart. Dad, if you ever pass away, just put a shoebox over there with Hanky so that I. Amen. David's army was going to ensure that. So it wasn't just about knowing the enemy and the Jebusites being killed. David had an army that would ensure that. It wasn't about them just pledging their loyalty to their king because his men were loyal. They're right there alongside him in battle. They wouldn't be loyal. They wouldn't be there if they weren't loyal. They were there right by their king in battle. It wasn't about necessarily winning the prize of, of a title, of a captain, or, or of a chief. Amen. Because Joab, according to our understanding of Scripture, already had somewhat of a prominent standing among the ranks of David. But what this is speaking about right here, it's talking about taking initiative. It's not talking about being speedy. Amen. That's all subject to ability. But it's talking about taking the initiative if I can define that for you it's about taking the introductory act or step in leading action in other words whoever acts first will command all David is making a connection for the men for what he had done in his own life and for what he expected in their life he's making a connection for them between leading and influence taking the first step of action because he's saying this he that does this he that acts first will have sway with all by taking the initiative now he says you'll have command of all my army if you take the initiative now if you will lead now someone say amen 
But see, the reality of this is that this very fact would even come back home to haunt David himself. Right? In his own life, this idea of taking initiative. What is perhaps that most notable or infamous sin of David's life? What is it? Anybody? His sin with Bathsheba that occurred. The Bible says he knew the enemy. They were supposed to fight against Ammon. He knew the enemy, but he failed to take the initiative. He sent Joab. He sent his servants. According to 2 Samuel 11, he sent all of Israel. But the Bible states this phrase concerning David. Though knowing the enemy, he tarried still at Jerusalem. He didn't take the initiative. He knew the enemy, but he didn't take the initiative. And as a result, there is a black mark then on David's life in his own leadership. Amen. Because he did not take the initiative. Someone say amen. Number three, leadership qualifications according to David. Be willing to risk your life. It's common to think, we know very sure, that anytime you engage in battle, that there is the possibility that while they are trying to take life, their life may be taken. Before David was king, he led Israel out into battle. He led Israel out away from home many times. He knew the enemy many times. He took the initiative many times. And there's always that risk of loss. There's always that risk of failure. As a matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles 11, when we read it, many of David's mighty men were awarded their positions because they fought against the enemy, but more importantly, by doing so, they were risking their lives. There are several of them that are mentioned that the odds were stacked against them. They were the lone ranger, if you will, out upon the battlefield, wielding a spear or wielding a sword, and they were risking their lives. David says, if you're going to be a leader under my command, he says, then you're going to have to be willing to know who the enemy is, take initiative, but risk your life for it. If you'll go with me to Philippians chapter number 2, I'm going to read just a few verses of Scripture there. Philippians 2 and verse 25. The Bible says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my ones. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick, that he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul is speaking here. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. I know it's kind of wordy. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life 
to supply your lack of service toward me. What had happened, this man had been sent from the church of Philippi to Paul to bear unto them a gift to Paul while Paul was in prison. In his time of serving Paul, being a servant and doing well unto Paul, he fell very sick at the point of almost losing his life. He had volunteered to make this long journey, which was a dangerous trip, amen, to Rome, to stand at Paul's side, to assist him in whatever it was that he wanted, to make sure that the love gift from the churches made it there, and he was protecting it with his own life. Amen. He had caught, it seems like, some illness in his work for the Lord. He was nigh death while he was trying to supply the lack of service as it was coming unto Paul. And the Bible says he did not regard his life. There was a group of people that this same word is used in the Greek of not regarding his life. They called them the riskers or the gamblers. They were people that risked their lives by ministering to the sick and to the imprisoned. They were ones that the Bible says like this that did not regard their life. They were reckless recklessly exposing themselves, their life, to danger. It was to risk everything almost like on the row of one of a piece or a die, if you will, or a dice. And so they named themselves as a result of this. They risked their lives to serve the citizens of their country, to serve Paul as it had been. And what I want to say then, it all comes down to this. David is saying then in Scripture, he needs some people to be gamblers. And please don't misinterpret that one, okay? He needs some people to be some gamblers. He needs some people to be reckless. He needs some people that will not regard their life. David says, if you're going to be a leader under my command, I don't, you, I don't need you to be regarding yourself. Because what was even the words of Jesus? He says, disciples, he said, the greatest among you will be the least among you. What's he saying? I don't need people under my care that's going to be regarding themselves. I'm closing. I told you I'd be short. Stand with me. Three then qualifications, David says, according to me. They must know who the enemy is. They must know who the enemy is. Folks, we got to know who the enemy is. Please do not fight battles that are unnecessary. We must know who the enemy is. We must, we must take the initiative. What good is it to know the enemy and not take the initiative? I mean, it's one thing not to know who the enemy is, but another thing to know who it is and then not do anything about it. You've got to take the initiative, and in doing so, you can't regard yourself. You've got to risk it all. You've got to gamble it, it all. David says, those are the type of men. He said, I'll give the honor of captain and chief to the one that will smite the Jebusite first. And Joab arose among them, evidently with knowledge of who the enemy was, that it was not just the enemy of his king, but it was the enemy of that king. He went out to battle first, or he took the initiative. And by doing so, he was risking his own life for what he thought was the greater good at that moment in time. David says, you are now chief. 
and you're a captain of my host. Your title didn't get you here. He said, but your ability and desire to lead before you had a position got you here. It would be later in 1 Chronicles 11 that we would read the story of three of David's mighty men. They were already called mighty. But the Bible says that they were hunkered down somewhere and David just kind of casually makes mention of, oh, I just wish I had a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. And it was these three men, the Bible said, that broke through the ranks. They went to the waters of Bethlehem and they grabbed some of that water and they took it back to their commander-in-chief, David, to give it to him. And David said, I cannot drink this water. Why? He said, because these men have risked their lives. I cannot drink this water because the value of this water now is the value of what the men risked in order to secure the water. And that was their life. And so the Bible says he poured on the ground as an offering unto the Lord because he could not do it because these were men who risked their lives. Now that was after they had a title. But I guarantee you what granted them the titles, they, they had that type of activity even before. And so here's something important. That what they did before they had the title did not change when they had the title. You hear me? Sometimes people jockey for position. And when they get the position, that's all they need. They no longer have the pizzazz, the fervor that they had when they were trying to secure it. It's kind of like sometimes men and women in relationships. People date, especially men. I'm telling you, it's the season conquer mode. Get that gal. Do everything within your power to get her. Get her, and then everything you did before to get her. Who cares? I got her. You know, you take her out to eat, get her some flowers, get a present, remember her birthday, blah, blah, blah. And then after the fact, you don't do any of those things. Why? Because it's the season conquer. You conquer, blah. Sometimes David's saying, there's people, though, he said, they'll do that for position and placement. And he says, then after they receive it, he says, then they're not knowing who the enemy is, taking initiative and willing to risk their lives like they were prior to the title. He says, but I want people, and he had them, those three namely were some, that before and after they knew the enemy, they took initiative, and they knew, they knew that they were going to be risking their lives in the moment. Those are just some qualifications of leadership according to David. I know this will not go in the top ten list of sermons ever spoken in my life. But you know what? I really, 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 really just spoke from the Word of God. And Johnny James says, if you do it, it does its work. So this might not influence anybody now, do anything for anybody now. I don't know if it ever will in the kingdom come of days. But I know I stayed in the book I stayed in the book. I'm not saying this for your benefit. I'm saying this for mine. That I stayed in the book. Amen. From the scriptures of the Holy Word. And I didn't just get up here and just throw something from my hip. Thank you, Lord, for your help. If we embow our heads in this place. If there's anybody here this evening that need to somehow be reacquainted with what the real enemy is I wish you would tell God that right now God I'm fighting but I don't know if I'm fighting the right things 
I'm fighting, oh God, but I don't know if I'm doing battle against the right things. If you need clarity in that and some confusion to be taken away, ask God to help you in that endeavor tonight because we need people that knows who the enemy is. If you're, if you're quite acquainted with that, but there is a disconnect between taking initiative against it, then please tonight, just talk to the Lord in your own way. God, help me to take the initiative then against what I am aware of. I pray, Lord Jesus, in this house. And if that is the case, and you put it all on the line, risk your life. Risk your life. People risk their lives for a lot of lesser things, extreme sports and all that in nature. And that's fine. They have to have its special insurance policies, and some people even don't take them because of the things they do. But if there's one thing worth risking it all for, let me tell you tonight, it's not a gamble, and that's for the kingdom and the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lay it all down for him because he has sometime in the past laid it all down for you. Can we go to the Lord in prayer right now? Father, I come to you. God, I thank you, Jesus, this evening. Help me, oh, Lord God, to, Lord, implement God and portray in my own life, God, those things. Lord, I want to be acquainted, Lord Jesus, with who the real enemy is. I don't want to go off, Lord God, on wild goose chases, Lord. God, endeavoring, Lord, to fight after, Lord, or oppose things, God, that's really not, really not the things, Lord Jesus, that I need to concentrate upon. God, all the while, Lord Jesus, there is, Lord, attacks coming against, Lord Jesus, me that are the real adversary. God, bring my awareness upon the things, Lord, that they need to be upon. Help me, God, to take initiative today. I want, Lord, God, want to settle in my laurels, Lord, so to speak. I want to be, Lord, God, taking initiative tonight. I want to go up first, Lord. I want to go up first, Lord. I pray, Jesus, today to gamble it all, to risk it all. Lord, I don't have anything to lose. God, you're worth, Lord Jesus, God, everything to me. God, I put my faith in you and my trust in you. You're a great God and a great King, Lord Jesus. Express yourself to us, Lord, over and over again. Teach us, God, over and over again. Lord, of your handiwork, Lord Jesus, I pray. Let you sing a course of song right now. If anybody wish to pray at their pew or at an altar, that's totally fine here this evening. Father, I pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.